think when you look at the reopening trade, it's starting to fade with a lot of the growing concerns about the Delta variant. So we've been seeing a lot of you know defensive growth-oriented areas start to tick up again. So quality in the U.S. and low ball in Canada. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. With the reopening trade running out of steam, investors must turn their attention now to less obvious drivers of market outcomes, such as the billions of dollars currently flowing into the repo market, the growing institutional demand for ESG investments, recent inflation reports, and more. In today's episode, Kevin Prince, Alfred Lee, and Chris McKinney dive into these underlying trends, offering investors strategic insight into where the market is headed and which ETFs can help you position for the months ahead. Our experts also discuss the latest factor rotations, and take questions from our audience of financial advisors. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, this is Kevin Prince from BMO Exchange Traded Funds. Thank you again for joining us as we take a time and effort to review what's going on in the markets and the implications towards exchange traded funds. Today, I have joining with me Alfred Lee and Chris McKinney from our team of portfolio managers. We've got a number of questions to go with them. Of course, we also have questions that came in from the field. If you have questions, feel free to reach out to your respective ETF specialists and send them to them. We'll go through those later on. So let's get into it. You know, as the market attention pivots from you know growth right now to inflation, because this week, of course, today, the July CPI report comes out, and it's certainly been surging since 2008. And Maybe hopefully it pulls back or throttles back a little today, but it's certainly been that fastest increase in the last 13 years. And we're seeing items you know, up more than a year ago. But someone said that it's more of a temporary pressure that are driving this. With this ongoing focus on inflation, like what does one turn to to get market projections? Right? And once one knows the market projections, how are some of the some ways to play in both the equity and the fixed income to mitigate the inflation risk? And actually, before I go to you, Chris, let me get from you, Alfred, specifically, where does somebody go for market projections? And let's share on the on the thoughts on equities and fixed income, please. Sure. Um, thanks, Kevin. Uh, so maybe what I could do is just talk about uh, the current inflationary environment and, and how to position in fixed income that over to Chris talk about equities. Um, but, you know, as, as we've been saying over the podcast over the last couple of weeks, um, inflation is definitely a very big concern in the market still. Um, this morning, we saw the U.S. Uh, CPI numbers come in. Uh, the year-over-year numbers came in at 5.4%, uh, which was a little bit higher than the expectations of 5.3%. Um, so, you know, this is, you know the, the higher numbers that we've been seeing uh, over the last couple of months, part of that is definitely due to, you know, what's known as the base effect. Um, so coming out of the great financial crisis in 2008, for example, we saw CPI uh, year over year come in at 5.6%. So uh, the higher numbers coming out of recession is is normal. It's, it's, it's not anything new. Uh, but definitely argue that inflation and what we've been seeing over the last couple of months um, is, is definitely a little bit different this time around. Um, is, and it's more than just the base effect. When we look at the month over month numbers, uh, last month they came in at 0.9%. 
uh, this morning came out in that 0.5%, which is a little bit more moderated. But when you annualize that 0.5%, it's still a pretty high number. Um, I think overall, the Fed and the market want to see CPI come in lower than expected. So the Fed can delay um, the tapering of assets. Uh, they could delay raising rates and keep stimulus in the market, um, which is going to be good for risk assets overall. Um, but, you know, in, in terms of addressing your question, in terms of, you know, how do you gauge the market's expectations for inflation? Uh, there's two ways in doing that. So there's taking the surveyed responses, which is essentially, um, you know, the economist expectations on a monthly basis. Um, so, you know, if the actual CPI numbers come in higher or lower than the economist expectations, uh, the market's going to react accordingly. Um, the other way of doing that is, uh, looking at break-even rates, which is essentially the difference between the yield on a nominal bond and also uh, TIPS bonds as well, so Treasury Inflation Protected Security. So um, the difference between these two yields is essentially the break-even rate. Um, so a good thing with break-even rate is that there's you know many different break-even rates across the yield curve. There's a two-year, three-year, five-year, 10-year, and so on. So right now, the 10-year break-even rate is 2.4%. So if CPI comes in higher than that number, then it's better to own Treasury inflation-protected securities. So, um, you know, to address your other question in terms of, you know, whether, you know, a lot of this is temporary in nature, I think, you know, a big part of it is you could definitely argue that some of this is going to be more transitory in nature. So uh, labor shortages, for example, um, there's been a shortage in the labor market, um, but we've seen jobless claims come down over the last couple of months, especially after the removal of that $300 a month unemployment benefit. Um, that definitely helps shore up labor and, and provide more uh, labor supply to the market. Um, some of the supply chains uh, disruptions that we've been seeing could, could definitely be argued that it's going to clear up over time. But I think some of these changes are going to be more permanent as well. So companies um, overall are adopting you know, what's called a just-in-time inventory management, where they keep just a limited amount of inventory on hand. So any sharp increases in demand over the next you know, and at any point, it's going to cause a disruption in in supply, and it's going to cause prices to become more volatile in, in future. So, um, another thing that we've mentioned in past podcasts is that many industries exhibit what we call uh, price stickiness. So, when prices go up, they're quick to react, but when prices come back down, uh, they're not going to react as quickly. So, um, you know, price stickiness is not going to be reflected in CPI numbers. Otherwise, we would have you know, negative numbers from, from time to time. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of this inflationary environment that everybody's concerned about, um, I think it is something that we have to address in uh, in the portfolio or uh, in, in fixed income. I think one way to play it is, you know, in, in terms of the corporate side or the credit side, um, investors have to, you know, look for companies that are going to have, you know, balance sheets that are more, more durable. Uh, and one way to do this is focusing on higher quality uh, corporate bond. So uh, ZQB, which is our high quality credit, uh, Canadian credit corporate bond, um, that's one way to play it. So it's, it's a little bit different in terms of the screening methodology compared to your know, quality equity ETF. So it doesn't necessarily look at um, accounting metrics per se, but it, um, it essentially invests in corporate bonds that are rated A and higher. So you know, AAA, AA, and single A. Um, so typically when you find uh, you know, companies that have higher credit ratings, they typically have more sound balance sheets, uh, stronger income statements, so they're going to be able to withstand inflationary pressures better. 
Um, another reason why I like the CTF is it focuses on the you know one to ten year bond, so you avoid the long end of the curve. So you know the market expects that the Bank of Canada has to react. Um, you know, avoiding the long end of the curve is is one way to play it. Um, another way to quickly play play it uh, or before I hand it over to Chris, is uh, short-term U.S. tips. Uh, we've mentioned that a number of times on this podcast, um, but again, it's, it's a good way to play inflation because um, it focuses on the short end of the curve. Again, if inflation numbers come in higher than the break-even rates, then tips are going to outperform nominal bonds. And again, because we are focusing on the short end of the curve, uh, we avoid the long end of the curve. So if the market anticipates that the Fed has to react by raising rates, um, you definitely want to avoid the long end of the curve and just focus on the short end. So that tip is essentially a good way to get uh, U.S. tips um, that focus just on the short end of the curve. So I'll pass it over to, to Chris to talk, talk about the equity ideas. Thanks, Alfred. And yeah, certainly um, on, the, on the equity side, a number of ways to protect against you know, inflation pressures and inflation concerns as well. You know, traditionally, areas like real estate, you know, hard assets, uh, real estate and commodities are, are, are two uh, ways to play that. And if you take a look at real estate specifically, you know, our ZRE ETF, investing Canadian REITs um, specifically, um, you probably want a bit more diversified exposure to real estate at this point. You know, some people are concerned about uh, the future state of certain elements of real estate, for example, the retail sector, um, some are concerned about the office sector as well. And, you know, will these things go back to, um, you know, the pre-pandemic sort of um, thing, uh, way, way that we, we used to do things? Or, or, or is there a permanent effect on, again, you know, shopping malls and things like that? Um, but other areas of, house, of uh, real estate, such as housing, you know, residential, um, manufacturing or warehousing, um, as well, healthcare uh, centers and things like that, we think are, uh, have a very strong future. And so, you know, if you are investing in real estate, it makes sense to have that diversified exposure to have, you know, we have an equal weight um, approach within ZRE. And so having that diversified uh, exposure to real estate, we think makes sense. Um, and then again, in the commodity space, whether that's base metals, um, you know, copper and the like, um, they, they tend to lead inflation, actually. And so ZMT, um, having exposure to base metals uh, might, might be one way uh, investors want to play it, or gold as well. So precious metals, ZGD being a way to, to invest in that area. Typically, uh, gold does well. You know, it's, it's certainly been a little weaker recently than, than some investors might have expected with these inflation concerns that are out there. Um, but, you know, has not violated really any technicals um, or anything like that. And so we think gold still potentially has, has room to go on inflation concerns. And then ZGD invest in gold-related equities um, that should benefit from that as well. And I'll just throw out one last area um, as a way, again, to protect against inflation is really just strong growth equities in general. Um, you would expect growth equities to outperform or to um, you know, pr- provide a better return than, than what uh, the inflation rate um, is, is taking away from you. So just taking a look at ZNQ or ZQQ or NASDAQ uh, ETF exposures, um, both hedged and unhedged there, um, might be a way to just, again, get exposure to growth equities that should outpace any inflation concerns if, uh, if investors have any. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the thoughts on inflation. I'm a position one, so given the reports coming out today. Hey, Chris, let me turn to you to start off this one. 
you know, we're certainly also seeing the news that, you know, climate change is back in the news with the United Nations report outlining that definitively it's tied to human influence. And of course, we've also seen, you know, that it leads me to that ESG investing, which is environmental, social, and governance. And we've seen that that kind of report has driven institutions to take a look at this type of investing. But really want to turn your attention to retail advisors. Like what kind of steps can retail advisors take now to prepare for this demand in investment style? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Kevin. And, you know, I think right now advisors and investors don't necessarily know the best way to approach it. They understand they want to invest with their values. They understand that climate change in particular. So the E of ESG um, in particular, they understand that climate change is real and needs to be addressed. And, you know, what really is the best way to uh, to take advantage of that. And so I think advisors really have to do a lot of work now um, to prepare for that future state. I don't think everyone, every investor is there right now in terms of needing ESG or wanting ESG. They don't even know uh, necessarily what ESG means. Um, but if advisors incorporate this into their practice now, they will be ready for any questions that come up in the future. Um, so really part of it is just integrating ESG and ESG-related investments into their investment selection process, okay, understanding, you know, there is a bit of homework involved here in terms of understanding the different levels of ESG integration into the different solutions that are out there right now, um, you know, esg light, so to speak, uh, for investors that are a bit more concerned with still tracking the benchmark. Um, over to, you know, the full exclusionary type of uh, ESG portfolios. And there's really a spectrum there um, that advisors need to understand um, and get comfortable with. But as well, just incorporating that whole process into the KYC info, you know, know your clients, understand what concerns they have. Would you consider putting ESG investments in a portfolio of someone that didn't ask for it? Um, you know, ask yourself all these questions and understand how you want to integrate this into your investment selection process. Make it part of your process that you deal with all clients with. And as those questions come up, um, you know, you'll, you'll be ready to answer them. Again, you know, separating the E from ESG as well, climate change specifically. Um, obviously, you know, BMO here, we have ZCLN, Z Clean as a solution to target climate change specifically. Um, are all climate change ETFs or, or clean carbon ETFs, um, are they all considered ESG or are they just E? So there's a lot of questions there um, that kind of need that, that sorting out. And advisors do have to do their homework here to, to understand it. But I think it leaves them in a better place in the future um, because investors, once they start asking questions, they want advisors that already have the answers. They don't want to. They don't want to hear someone say, "I'll get back to you and I'll think about it." They want to deal with someone that already has this built and integrated into their practice. And so, as this becomes more and more important going forward, and I think climate change, uh, specifically as you mentioned with this new report, uh, is building a lot of momentum in terms of um, uh, necessary actions on on behalf of governments and companies, corporations globally. Um, this becomes more and more of a concern of investors as well. And so I think advisors have to do the work now and integrate it into their practice and understand how each investor might have a different approach to it. 
so that they're ready when these questions do start coming in the future. Yeah, well said, Chris. Well said. Albert, I'm going to turn to you because, you know, the Wall Street Journal reports that actually trillions of dollars are changing hands now in the reverse repo markets. And you know as well as I that that's really cash flooded into the short-term markets like never before. The big question I got for you is, is that a bad sign? Give us your thoughts, please. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's a topic that's been um, pretty heavily covered in, in, you know, a lot of financial media over the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, typically when you do see um, a, a spike in the short-term markets or, you know, the repo market, it definitely is, um, you know, it definitely precedes uh, a market sell-off. Um, it definitely, or, you know, sometimes it does indicate that there is something wrong with the plumbing of the financial market. Um, so we did see a spike in the repo market. Uh, prior to the great financial crisis in 2008, but that was more to do with you know mortgage-backed securities being pledged as collateral at at that time. Um, this time it's a little bit different. I would say you know the assets being pledged are UST bills. So you know the recent kind of spike isn't uh, isn't really concerned on the quality of the collateral being posted. Um, but before I get into it, maybe what I could do is just quickly just go over how the repo market works. Um, so the repo market essentially has you know commercial banks pledge assets. So T-bills in this case, Uh, so they basically post T-bills with the Fed on the promise that they're going to buy it back from them um, sometime in the future. So in return, what they do is they get cash in return uh, for posting that collateral. So uh, effectively, what the repo market allows is it allows more money to enter the financial system, improves liquidity of the overall market. Uh, The reverse repo is the opposite, where commercial banks, you know, for, uh, give money back to the Fed, so they they buy back uh, the T bills, and it basically takes cash out of the system. So what we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks is, um, you know, there's been a lot of cash built up with a lot of the commercial banks. Uh, so you know, cash balances on their balance sheets of a lot of the commercial banks in the U.S. has been growing. Um, so deposits have been growing, but loan growth hasn't been growing at the same rate. Um, loan growth is, is been stagnant over the last couple of weeks. Um, so what a lot of commercial banks have been doing is they've been asking a lot of their clients, instead of having you know cash sit, sit you know just in deposits, they've been asking them to invest in money market funds where they get a little bit of a higher rate on a little bit of a higher rate of return on their cash. So money market funds, as a result, have been growing at a very fast rate as a result of that. Um, so money market funds essentially buy T-bills and other you know, short-term, short-term dated, uh, very safe um, assets. Um, so because there's been essentially a shortage on T-bills, uh, the Fed has essentially counteracted this by raising the rate, uh, the reverse repo rate by five basis points. So uh, what this has led to is commercial banks have returned cash to the Fed or they've been buying back um, their T-bills. So what this what this essentially does is that it increases the supply of T bills in the market. So essentially, you know, we haven't really seen a run on T bills, but you know, demand for T bills has definitely outstripped supply. Um, so by you know what we've been seeing in the last couple of weeks is T bills being returned to the market. So it addresses you know that supply shortage of T bills uh, that we have been seeing. So you know, overall, this is something that we have been keeping a close eye on. Um, you know, so far, I wouldn't say it's the ominous event that typically precedes a market meltdown. Um, right now, when you look at commercial banks, they want T-bills, uh, not cash. So it's, it's, it's the other way around uh, to, you know, what we, what we saw in 2008. 
So there isn't a concern on you know, the, the uh, quality of the collateral that has been posted. Um, so if anything, I think, you know, the Fed wants to remove liquidity from the system to address inflation. I think, you know, that's that's been what's going on. I think at you know, this time it's, it's, it's pretty much a non-event so far. Um, but I would take this opportunity to dial down beta overall. I, I would say, you know, I, I wouldn't say, you know, to decrease beta due to what's been going on in the reverse repo market. Uh, but, you know, when you look at the characteristics of the market rally over the last couple of weeks, I mean, it's, it's been a little bit you know, more muted compared to what we've been seeing compared to Q1 and Q2. Seems to be that there's less you know, risk taking overall. So I would take that opportunity to you know, decrease beta. Uh, we definitely see the reopening trade running on the steam at this point. Uh, concerns about the Delta variant growing as well. Um, so, uh, you know, as a result of that, I, I would take that opportunity to you know, get into more defensive growth oriented areas, um, more so due to the characteristics of the market rally uh, and less so what's been going on uh, due to the re- reverse repo. So, you know, factors that I would focus on is, you know, quality and low vol, uh, covered calls as well. Uh, I think that's a good way to, uh, to position the equity side of a portfolio right now. Thanks for that, Alfred. Appreciate your detailed insights on the repo market. That's, that's very good. Chris, let me turn to you, if I can now, and I want to talk about, you know, the reporting. You know, we're certainly seeing shares, uh, firms beating analyst expectations set to be one of the best showings ever. Now, this seems to maybe quell the worries about the new variants of COVID-19. What kind of vol is, you know, I guess being priced in the marketplace now with, you know, the expectations come in, the, the variants going on at the same time, and then where should someone look for opportunities with such strong numbers out there? Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, it is a good question and, you know, somewhat tied to some of the comments Alfred um, was just making. Um, you know, we do have, you know, what we've seen is very strong earnings season, um, but we didn't see a huge amount of growth after that earnings season. I think, you know, what you saw was uh, companies' prices being bid up in advance of these earnings, and even though they beat expectations, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of it also is about, you know, the look forward, you know, what's going to happen in, in future quarters. And it seems like the market was not as impressed with um, the look forward as, you know, the actual earnings themselves were, as you mentioned, very strong overall. Now, we have seen growth in the market um, since that earnings season. And, you know, we are up a little bit. So, you know, it's not to say it was a, a disaster or anything like that. But I think um, the market is starting to look for, um, you know, potential slowdown in growth. There are concerns out there, like Alfred mentioned, the Delta variant. And, you know, it's quite interesting, actually, when you start to bring that volatility aspect into it, as you were asking. Um, 2021, you know, we've seen quite a number of all-time highs on the S&P 500 so far this year. But what's interesting about it is the VIX, the level of the VIX, and the VIX is, um, you know, the market's expectation for volatility in the S&P 500 over the next 30 days. It's basically a number that's calculated out of the S&P options market. Um, And so a higher number indicates higher uncertainty as to where uh, the S&P 500 is going to go in the future. And typically when the market's at an all-time high, the VIX is at a very low number. It tends tends to be relatively low. And what we've seen um, in 2021 is all these all-time highs being made 
um, throughout the year, but the VIX still at a very high level. And, you know, it's over 16 today, still upwards of 17. And we haven't really seen the VIX at this level uh, with the market reaching all-time highs since the 1990s or since, you know, that, that's the end of the, the dot-com uh, bubble in the, in the late 90s and into early 2000s. Again, typically when the market's at an all-time high, um, you know, investors are a little bit more complacent. Volatility and expected volatility tends to be very low, but the market is still pricing in a high level of potential volatility going forward, even though we're sitting at all-time highs here. And so, of course, there are a number of questions as to out there as to what might impact markets. Um, the first and foremost, obviously, is the Fed. And will they start tapering? When are they going to start tapering? When do those interest rate increases start coming in um, in the future? Um, again, that's driven off of inflation. So, you know, all of these conversations we're having kind of lead into each other here. Um, as well, the Delta variant causing a lot of uncertainty as to the degree of economic reopening we'll, we'll, we'll be seeing in the second half of the year. And so, again, a lot of volatility still being priced in the markets, even though we're seeing very strong numbers from the equity markets. Um, and so, you know, where to look um, in terms of investing is in those areas where, uh, you know, some of the option overlay programs that we run that monetize that expected volatility. So selling options um, in order to generate premium, to generate cash flow. Um, is all based off of the level of expected volatility. And while it's still high, we think it makes sense to be in strategies like our premium yield strategy, ZPay is the ticker, ZPAY, where we're investing in some of those quality equities that Alfred was talking about, the way you want to be positioned. So we do have some exposure to those strong companies um, that are going to provide, hopefully, that strong growth going forward. But instead of just outright buying those stocks, we are selling options on those equities as well to generate cash flow from, again, those heightened levels of volatility, of expected volatility. And should there be disruptions in the market, you know, that strategy goes further into the equity market. So uh, as equities come down, the equity weight in that portfolio goes up. Um, but as it stands right now, it actually has a fairly low equity weight. So it is a defensive strategy relative to just straight equity uh, strategy. So you are taking a little bit off the table in terms of risk. Um, and you're taking advantage of those high levels of volatility by monetizing that through the options market. Um, if you do want um, a primarily fully invested equity portfolio, then you would look to our covered call strategies. Um, and again, depending on what region you're looking at, um, that would determine which, which of our covered call strategies you're looking at. But those are fully invested strategies that will have the, the equity market growth. Um, but still utilize that call option overlay to, to take advantage of those high levels of, uh, of volatility that we're still seeing in the market. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 83 in the same podcast series where Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets, introduces his new U.S. all-cap strategy. This exciting new ETF, ticker ZACE, ZACE, helps you invest across all market cap exposures to capture growth in companies both big and small. Thanks for that, Chris. And uh, one more question before we turn to questions that you sent in. And Alfred, just give me a, a, a quick thought here. 
And there's certainly been uh, a record number of ETF flows this year, and of course, product launches too. And we've seen flows, of course, international broad markets, Canadian broad markets, and US markets certainly being the dominant flows, and actually emerging market debt too. But we're also seeing factors come in more recently too, like low volatility and quality. Can you give us some thoughts on positioning going forward and where someone should maybe get some resources to look at different things when it comes to ETFs out there? Sure. So, um, you know, I think over the last year, I think investors have been more concerned about um, just equitizing cash. Uh, they've been less concerned about the specifics and in terms of how to get that exposure. So I think even in the last year, I think a lot of people have turned towards, you know, um, broad beta equity exposures. Um, so broad beta ETFs have been the way to go. For one, you know, they get exposure to the entire market. Two, it's inexpensive. So when you look at ZCN, uh, provides exposure to the entire TSX composite at six basis points. Uh, so if investors want to get a better idea in terms of you know the, the largest and most liquid uh, ETFs out there, we do have a good tool that um, it's basically a report that addresses you know, the largest and most liquid ETFs in Canada. Um, but overall, I think you know um, after November of last year, after that Pfizer news broke out, um, investors kind of changed their tune and basically went from you know broad beta ETFs to increasing their beta exposure, so going into higher beta assets. So you know, going for things like such as uh, small cap ETFs, value-based or, uh, ETFs, and also momentum ETFs as well. Uh, but now it seems like, you know, as Chris alluded to, uh, it seems like we've been hitting another turning point as well. Uh, uh, turning point as well, where you know, equity markets, I think, they're fully valued at this point. So, you know, the market is waiting for earnings to catch up and, and really justify a lot of the prices that we've been seeing um, in terms of the equity market. I think when you look at the reopening trade. Um, it's starting to fade with um, a lot of the growing concerns about the Delta variant. Um, so we've been seeing a lot of, you know, defensive growth-oriented areas uh, start to tick up again. So quality uh, in the U.S. and low ball in Canada, um, not not just in terms of performance, but we also seen a lot of investors kind of rotate back into those ETFs as well. Uh, but typically after, you know, a market bottom, a year after a market bottom, a year and a half, uh, typically what we see is the momentum in that equity repricing it starts to moderate a little bit. And that's, I think that's where we find ourselves today. So um, in terms of equity positioning, um, I think, you know, how you position the portfolio, we still like quality ETFs, you know, focusing on, you know, blue chip companies, higher quality companies, uh, low ball in Canada. So ZUQ is one uh, to look at in terms of, you know, building out a core to a portfolio. Uh, in terms of Canadian equities, another way to, uh, to get a core to a portfolio. Um, but in terms of, you know, looking outside of a core, so looking at more satellite positions, um, I think that's how you structure a portfolio, looking at um, defensive growth areas for the core and looking at more growth-oriented op- uh, opportunities for the uh, peripheral positions around that core in order to, you know, get growth in the portfolio In order, and also allows you to be more tactical as well. So, you know, areas that we like right now is, you know, ZEO, which is our equal weight oil and gas ETF, uh, ZEB is another area that I think is you know, potentially does very well. Uh, so that's our equal weighted bank ETF, ZRE, which Chris mentioned earlier. Um, that is potentially a, an area that has uh, hasn't fully participated in that you know reopening trade. And as we get more clarity in terms of you know return to work, um, you know the the broad reopening and how that's going to affect you know retail shopping and all that. I think that's another area that is you know, underappreciated by the market as well. Uh, but overall, in terms of our, you know, more in-depth look at, 
equity positioning and overall, you know, portfolio positioning. We do have two reports that we outline, you know, themes that we're seeing in the market and how to position ETFs as well. So our portfolio strategy report, which comes out quarterly, uh, that outlines, you know, broad our broad market outlook and you know equity and fixed income positioning. Uh, we also have a quarterly fixed income ETF report that talks about, uh, you know, what's been going on in the interest rate market, uh, the, the credit market, and also also currency as well. So that's essentially a guided portfolio on uh, fixed income ETFs. So both of those reports, in addition to uh, the largest and most liquid report, could be found on our uh, dashboard, which is www.bmoetfs.ca. Thanks a lot, Alfred. Here, let me turn to a couple of questions that got sent in to us, and I'm going to read them from the emails. Overall, we're currently seeing, of course, you have in infrastructure news, and I've probably seen the email. There's been a big announcement of the trillion dollars approved, and more recently, a $3.5 trillion on the tails of that. So when infrastructure is first being discussed, you know, in uh, infrastructure moved up, is the trade done? And what is the way to position for this spending going forward? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that one. And, you know, certainly I, I wouldn't say um, the trade is done. You know, you can, you can probably, when you're talking about infrastructure in particular, um, the trade's probably never, never done. Um, you know, there's, there's always talk about spending on infrastructure, but there, there's not always the actual commitment from politicians to put the cash forward to, 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 to do the actual spending. So, you know, the, the bill you announced being passed in the Senate that, that you mentioned uh, being passed in the Senate, that's certainly a good first step towards that money being um, allocated to those infrastructure investments. But I, I wouldn't say it's, um, you know, a, a done deal at this point. Um, other areas for it to go through, through that uh, government, the, the, the process um, to, to get that money uh, where it needs to go. Um, but really, that's also just one one country. Obviously, the U.S. is the largest um, economy in the world, but many countries around the world um, investing in infrastructure as well are talking about in, investing in infrastructure. Again, this is something that um, you know people need kind of on an ongoing basis. You know, you build a road, you build a bridge, and that lasts for a while. Um, but eventually, there's maintenance. Eventually, there's upkeep, and of course, population growth requires. Um, an expansion of a lot of these things as well. Part of that infrastructure investment, um, you know, is related to technology as well um, to some degree. And so it does reach into potentially a lot of areas of the economy. Of course, ZGI, our, our global infrastructure ETF, I think is probably the best way to play this. It, it, it includes a lot of the 5G cell towers in that portfolio. So as the 5G uh, rolls out, you know, those cell tower REITs is actually classified as real estate. Uh, those, cell those cell power REITs um, benefit from that 5G build-out, but then also all the build-out that's going to be coming for roads and bridges, et cetera, um, is, is the best way to play that. So, you know, I, I don't think this trade is done. I think it's a long-term investment, and I think it provides a decent, uh, pretty stable return over time. You know, infrastructure and ZGI in particular tend to have a lower standard deviation than the broad market. Um, so it's one of those strategies that you can allocate to and buy and hold um, and, and should have uh, strong performance over the long term. Thanks for that, Chris. I've got time for just one more question. Um, in this case, we start to see banks break out of their holding pattern for the past two uh, past two months holding pattern. What's behind this breakout more recently? 
Yeah, I can take that one as well. I think, you know, this goes back to the earnings as well. You know, banks a couple of months ago had very strong earnings. Um, and, you know, we saw some growth in the, in the share price from that. But I think there's been some profit taking since then. And we've kind of, as you mentioned, seen things trade sideways a little bit here. Um, I think there's a little bit of momentum building towards the next earnings season for uh, particularly Canadian banks. If you look at ZEB starting to come back up here, um, you know, all those benefits that we've been talking about with banks recently, um, they're all still there. You know, the excess capital reserves, the potential for dividend and increases in share buybacks has not gone away at all. And of course, they're not allowed to at this point from the regulator's point of view. Um, but I think it's just a matter of time until that happens. And these are a lot of these things are tailwinds to the share price um, uh, of the banks. And so I think um, investors, again, moving from a profit taking uh, point of view to starting to look ahead to, again, the next earnings season. Um, so far, indications looking positive there. Um, and then also, again, these other tailwinds, you know, the share buybacks, uh, dividend increases very, very strong capital ratios we're seeing from the Canadian banks. And so even though um, there may be concerns with Delta variant and, and economic growth going forward, um, the banks, I think, should be the, the one of the leaders in that area and probably a bit more defensive. Um, and should there be any sort of uh, downturn in, in economic growth, the banks should still be leaders uh, in, in that scenario. Thanks for that, Chris. And let me thank you. And let me thank Alfred for joining us today and sharing your thoughts on the markets as they relate towards exchange traded funds. And I want to thank all the listeners for taking the time to join us today. And we'll be back next week with further insights towards the overall market. Thank you for joining us today. Have a good week ahead. Cheers. Thank you to Alfred Lee, Chris McKinney, and Kevin Prince for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about a number of ETFs that can help investors take risk off the table while continuing to put money to work, including ZTIP for inflation hedging, ZCLN for access to climate-friendly stocks, and ZRE for access to the discounted real estate sector. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.